Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right, welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Very excited for today's episode as we're going to be digging a bit into occupational therapy, really with a focus on the neuro-occupational therapy and really looking at the concept of digital therapeutics, of virtual care, of ADLs, and we'll dig a bit deeper into what that really means, of really standardizing approaches to help people, whether they're a little bit more elderly or or a little bit wiser, maybe, (laughs) or even our young pediatric type population and everybody in between. So today we're going to learn a little bit about all of these topics with a real specialized occupational therapist who's been working in this space for most of her career and has been so kind of impacted by the work that she's really created some programs herself with a team that are really helping to help many people in community in need right now. So I want to welcome to the podcast, Jennifer Carnegie to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's a a pleasure to have you here with us. So I hinted at it a little bit. You've been in this work a long time. Not saying that you're old, just really experienced. Really experienced. (laughs) Yes, Yes, experienced. Experienced, right? For our listeners, these are people that are, many of them are looking for therapies, are looking for programs that can really help them. For people that are listening, these could be those individuals. These could be people, family members of people that may be looking to further optimize some of their activities of daily living. As you think about the the big kind of picture of brain health, what's kind of your main take-home message with all the experience that you've had for people to better understand? I mean, I think for me, you know, over my career, the biggest focus for me has been really on those ADLs, on function, right? How do we take the skills as therapists we know and turn it into actually changing someone's life with things that matter to them? So meaningful activities, because there's tons of great therapeutic programs out there. But if it doesn't mean, you know, you can help your kid get off to school in the morning, or you can make a meal for your family, or you can be independent in the community, you know, they don't have lasting effects. And so for me as an OT, it's always that connection back to meaningful function for that individual person. And not kind of your rote standard programs that sometimes don't translate for everybody when we talked about that spectrum of life, right? What is meaningful and important to a six-year-old is incredibly different than it is to a 16-year-old and a 26-year-old and a 36-year-old and an 86-year-old. And so making sure that there is that context that can grow with someone that the support is meaningful to a large variety of people and can adapt with them. I love that. I think that's so incredibly important. And a lot of times, I think many people out there can get really focused on a particular number, right? On a particular number on on an assessment, right? Or average, right? Whatever that might be, which it can be very clinically meaningful. But when you think about, you know, occupation and that whole concept of occupation, maybe help our listeners to better understand what that means when you talk about one's 
function and occupation. Because right. it may I, not be, I don't think for listeners, it may not mean what you think it means. So get ready. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for me, and again, you could probably talk to 10 occupational therapists and we might all say something different, <laughs> but I hope that the general concept here is that occupation is really meaningful activities, right? What is it in your day that you have to accomplish that, you know, one makes you feel good about yourself is productive, right? Because again, kind of going back to that age spectrum, you know, sitting and coloring is productive to a two-year-old. Right. And therefore, because it meets those criteria, it's occupation to that person, right? I'm engaging in a meaningful task that brings value to my day. So when I look at occupation, that's really what I'm thinking about is does this task add value to my day? And, you know, how does that fit in that developmental spectrum? And we all have to do some tasks that we don't want to do, but they still bring value to our day, right? So even tasks that we don't necessarily always want to do, and work is one of them sometimes, laundry is another for people, but at the end of the day, completing that task did add meaning to your day. It did add value. You have clean clothes, you made money, you have food to eat. And so I think as an OT, when I look at occupation, I am really looking at a really wide spectrum of tasks that someone wants to do. And how does that bring value to their daily living? And also on the other side of this, because sometimes and people you know, think about this concept and they wonder, okay, if someone is unable to engage in the activities that hold meaning to them in that day and they attach value to, what happens to someone when they're unable to do that more independently? What then happens? I mean, and and that really is the place where I like to sit the most is what happens when you can't do those tasks. And so, I mean, there's two things. Traditional rehab obviously fits a really good place here because you can go back and learn some of those subsets or skills missing for that task and, you know, gradually develop the ability to relearn, redo. And then there is a group of people that just need a little bit of cueing, prompting, support before, during, or after that task. Mm-hmm. And that's really the place where, you know, invisible care and the work I'm doing right now sits in that, how can we give you those little bumps, those little prompts that help you have some reward in the, in the tasks you want to do that are challenging. Um, and again, that may be a whole variety of um, spectrum of, you know, exercise to food to any ADL you want to do, but trying to support that client in a goal that is meaningful to them. Love that. I think that's so important. And sadly, you know, this is this is the theme that's really come up on this podcast and on many platforms is that occupational therapy does not, and occupational medicine does not get the amount of acknowledgement or awareness that it should. And I believe that over the next decade, we're going to see a lot more of that. Because typically we tend to see, when we think about allied health professionals and community, how many physio clinics do you see within a one block radius of your house, five block radius, a lot, most of us, but how many 
you know, occupation-focused clinics do we see? Not very many. And maybe it's a maybe it's a language issue, but you know, in terms of the term or an understanding, lack of understanding issue. But I think a lot of us are looking for agency and empowerment to enable us to do more of what we want to do, not just physically, but mentally, cognitively as well. Absolutely. I mean, and I do think there is a bit of a language barrier for the general population because I think as we're speaking. The word occupation already confuses people. Right. And then secondly, you know, we're not visible because we typically don't own clinics that you see on the corner because we actually work in your home, your school, your gym, your recreational place. Because again, function is the place that we want to work. And the majority of us don't work in a clinic all of the time. And so it makes it hard for the general public to see what it is we do, to attach it with a name. And then historically, we've evolved considerably that, you know, when you look back at the history of occupational therapy, it has been primarily work-related and senior kind of care that the general community would see it connected to. And so I think we're taking some really big strides, particularly in the neuro community, of moving a little bit away from maybe traditional clinic-based work and saying, you know, we can do that in your gym. We can do that in your school. We can do that in your house. So we can see some of the elements that interplay with that skill set because I can get a lot of clients to be able to relearn something in a quiet, sterile environment. But taking it back into the house if they have four kids Very different. I think that environmental piece is the place where people really need the support because that is where real living's done, right? Real living is messy. It has interruptions. (laughs) It has unplanned events. And I think the best therapy plans for that messiness, because that's really the sweet spot of life is that kind of chaotic energy that households can have. And that's where people want to live. And that's where we really need to aim that therapy back because it's not just about being able to do the task. It's being able to do the task with your loved ones in a busy environment, maybe with lights, noise, distractions. And I think that's the place for me that occupational therapy particularly works so well because they really come at it from a physical, emotional, sensory, meaningful place. Because mm-hmm. again, it's not really occupation unless it's meaningful to you. Yeah, that's so, so well said. So maybe right here is a good place to introduce some of what you've created with Invisible Care. Why don't you help the listeners to understand? I know you're not a big self promoter, but. <laughs> it's a it's a very useful tool, and I'd like for people to hear a little bit more about it. Okay, I mean, and, and again, from this conversation we've been having, Invisible Care was really designed to fill a gap. So, as an occupational therapist, I would really see that my clients struggled in between sessions, and what could be done in between sessions. What happens after five o'clock or on the weekends? How do we support you? And so invisible care is based off what we'll call an intermittent care model, meaning that it's not constant. It happens at touch points throughout the day. So from 6 a.m. to midnight, you have access to a support worker or a coach who's familiar with your goals and is helping you work on them. And again, they're short little bursts of support that happen all day long. 
to get you to the goals you want. And so, for example, it is chat technology that we primarily use. Okay. And you can text, call, video chat with a live support worker. But the system also is giving you a prompt before you get to that point. So a great example might be that a goal for you is to get your son to school on time. And so, you know, at 7.30, we prompt you, good morning, Mark. Remember, you've, you know, got to take X to the school bus for eight. Please text back, you know, Mm -hmm. are you up first? And then if we don't hear from you, we're going to call you. Because this is an important goal. If you don't answer, we're going to keep calling you. So our system essentially prompts and cues until an answer has been given back. And it's an opportunity, too, for you to pick up the phone, to be frustrated or upset. Maybe the morning didn't go well. You know, it's quarter to eight. We've got to be at the bus stop for eight. And I'm facing all these challenges. And now you have a live worker who you could also quickly transfer to a video call if they needed to see the environment or help you, but who can act as that secondary brain to brainstorm with you. What is it I need to do to complete this task, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes people are having a great day and they don't need this support. And this is what I love the most about it, is that you're having a great day. You don't need this support. You quickly type back, already, already at the bus stop. The system shuts down. You don't need us anymore. But it can elevate with your need. And that to me was the key because when we go back to thinking about us just chatting about real live environments, right? You Mm -hmm. need the support at the time you need the support, at the time you're executing that task. And so Invisible Care was really designed to fill again that gap around well, what happens when the therapist isn't there? And as a therapist myself, I've given tons of home programs and you should do and this will work. But again, that's best practice, not in an environment where maybe a baby's crying. We're already running late for school. I woke up with a headache. And so for that client to have to stop and either pull out a worksheet, think about what I left them, you know, it doesn't happen. It's, it's not realistic to think as humans, we're going to, in the moment of crisis, be able to pull out those strategies. And, you know, in rehab and brain health, we often talk about that second brain, right? That person who's just giving you that little bit of cueing and coaching. And that's really what invisible care is. It's cueing and coaching and support on demand when you need it from a rehab support worker. That really was the purpose of it to fill that gap of intermittent care and going from kind of 6 a.m. to midnight because one of the biggest things that we saw people who you know, have challenges is sleep and nighttime routines um, really impact people. And it's a vicious circle, right? Because if you don't sleep well, you don't wake up well, and then your day doesn't start well. And so as an occupational therapist, we often give a lot of sleep hygiene. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine that most of your listeners who've had a brain injury have had a sleep hygiene program, have tools at their fingertips. But again, our system will prompt and push it to you at mm-hmm. you know 11 p.m. Great. So you remember to pull it up and do it. So again, going back to that intermittent model, when the function's happening, you get that support 
but it's not like a traditional model. Our cueing and prompting lasts anywhere from two minutes to 15 minutes, and then you're done with the therapist. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, thank you for taking the action to do this because this is so needed in the community. And it makes me think, I mean, you know, a little bit about kind of my work as well, which is really focused on exhausting some of that neuroplastic potential to hopefully up the capacity to deploy more skills to be able to benefit from even more of the coaching. So maybe when we're offline, sorry, listeners, but when we're offline, we might have to talk a little bit more about how we can support each other on these endeavors because it's a wonderful thing you're doing. And I think also potentially very complimentary for many people that need this sort of help. But when you look at this work in general and what motivates you now, given that you've now developed this mature program that can really help people anywhere, anytime, listeners, like anywhere, anytime, what frustrates you about the world of brain health and occupational therapy right now? I mean, and again, it's still an ongoing learning process for us. I mean, I think the frustrating piece, and I'm sure, Mark, you (laughs) experience this too, is technology is amazing. And there's so much we can do with technology. But two things is, I mean, I think the frustrating piece is the rehab space is not there yet. The majority of actual clinicians and practitioners don't know how to integrate the technology piece into the care piece. And so, you know, for me, the frustrating piece is oftentimes these kind of tools aren't even being considered by frontline therapists. In part, Mm -hmm. maybe they don't know they exist. And then secondly, in part, because they personally aren't comfortable with it or don't know how to use it, don't know how it would benefit them or their practice or the client. And so the level of education that is required to have people understand this bridging of technology with rehab is pretty extensive. And I'm sure you could probably speak to that even more than I can, but it is a slow education piece. And what I'd like to say to that for the listeners out there today is that we know this is true, right? Like, like, and it's just part of innovation. It's just how it is, but it starts with education first. And I think that's what we're trying to do. That's why we created this podcast was just to try to provide a little bit more education for those out there that may be interested in occupational therapy and rehab med and occupational health and mental health and everything in between that I ask that, you know, share this episode, download it because options are available for you. You don't, what I hate seeing is therapists are out there really struggling, really burning themselves out when a tool like Invisible Care could really help them here today and now, but not just them, help their patients. And I think that that's why it's so important to have these kinds of conversations, but not just have them, but to share them and push them out there to community so that people can reduce the amount of frustration that they're having and trying to help people reach their goals. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I think it's it's an exciting time to be a clinician because there are so many evolving tools, you know, with your program and other programs. And I mean, I think, you know, there's lots of really great things out there, but I do think the bigger challenge is the general clinician practice that recommends to clients don't know they exist or don't know how to use them, even if they know the name. And I think we're living in a time too, right, where we have a ton of burnout. We don't have the human resources. We know that. We see it in the news every day. We don't have the human resources. And so 
you know, really educating people to use tech and tech programs and these innovative supports, you know, not only reduces the burden on the therapist, but it gives a client access to an entirely new way of being treated, engaging with therapists, looking at something different. And, you know, we know no one model fits everyone. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's the piece when we educate people and we see all the options that I think is exciting as a clinician. But I also think if I were a family member, it would be really exciting to know that there's not just one size fit all. I can try this program. We can try that program. And there's new and innovative things happening all the time. I love that. And please, please, if that hit home for you, you know, share it with someone because it's true. You do, it's true. And I'm so optimistic about the future because we've seen together, you and I, we think we talked about this before. There's a lot of great assessments coming out there that are going to really help us to, to identify sooner a challenge, a problem. But then we got to also therapeutically make sure we're getting access to the right kind of program that could help to address the unmet need of that individual. So it is exciting, but it, uh, you know, I think you nailed it. I think it comes down to getting the message out there at scale. And that is what is really failing right now is we have to really get the messaging out there about some of these tools. You know, the amount of times I've seen people using CogMed incorrectly has been shocking to me because I'm like, CogMed's a great tool. You're just not using it right, you know, and and, and Uh, well-intentioned, but you're just not using it correctly yet. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that is the that is the, the the challenge, right, Mark? Is that there are still so many. I mean, the Mocha is a very standard tool that I'm sure yeah. many of your listeners have gone yeah. through. You know, when you look at the history of the Mocha, it wasn't really designed for brain injury. It was designed for a senior population. Yep. It yep. is great MCI. At dementia, yep. right? And so, yep. but when you're running it on a 22 year old, you know, <laughs> that might not be the best case. And no. so, that piece of education about there's a million amazing tools coming, but making sure they're applied to the right person is, so is just so critical, right? So good. Yeah, no, you're so right. And, you know, I'll make sure that there's links in the show notes, everyone. If you want to learn about invisible care, it'll be right in the show notes. You can just click to it so you can learn more about it. When I think about you and your work, I'm always curious, what are some of the influences you've had? Maybe there's a book, a piece of uh, research that really helped to shape some of your perspective in this work. I mean, it's kind of funny and I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, in this work, to be honest, like Tim Ferriss, uh, who is a podcaster too and does a lot of stuff like is honestly a big influence of mine don't reinvent the wheel but just do it slightly different is one of his kind of takeaways right you don't have to start from scratch and build something completely unique so even with invisible care looking at what what chat software was out there what does it do Mm -hmm. none of it really met our true needs so we did build our own but we really just took that framework of you know what What are therapists using right now to communicate with clients? Oh, they use WhatsApp. Yeah. We could get into some conversations about privacy and things around that, but that's what they use. And so it works. So let's use, let's build our own secure chat that works like WhatsApp. Now, what's Mm -hmm. the problem with that? Oh, the problem is if no one answers that call or that text, not very helpful. So then we have to have live people, you know, available. And this has been, you know, kind of for me, the influence of 
Tim Ferriss and kind of his business model of how to get this going, super influential. But then for me as a clinician, coming back to the value of people mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of old school um, OT in that, you know, people matter and tech is amazing. But, you know, that combination of tech and people is really the sweet spot and looking at that and, and not getting lost in the tech world, I think, of remembering, of trying to have, we have some connections to McMaster and really remembering that where we started and why we started, right? And that's kind of people because tech can be pretty exciting and you can get pretty like deep into it. But if it doesn't serve the client, it really doesn't, it's not, it's not good tech. Yeah. I and love so that. That's that's really for me that combination. What a cool answer! And uh, yeah, Tim Ferriss is fascinating to me. Constantly testing, looking for ways to improve, and we'll have links to that book as well in there because I think you know whether it's Tools for Titans or or whatever it might be, you know, I, I think he's a very interesting mind. And uh, it's funny we share that one. I th- I find him uh, fascinating as well. When you think about you know the future, then because obviously you're a very futuristic thinker as well, yeah. you know. What's your hope for the future in this sort of work that you'd like to see? If you could shape the future in a way that you'd like to, what would you like to see? I mean, I I would like to see that tech is used across the platform, that it is something, and whether it's invisible care, your program, someone else's program, we need to be using technology to increase access across the board because technology ultimately reduces costs. And we already know that there are populations that can't access good rehab due to funding restrictions. And so for me, it is clinicians really thinking outside the box of how do we use unique and innovative ways that everyone can get good rehab, right? Whether you had a motor vehicle accident or you've fallen off a swing in the park or you fall down your stairs, you can have access to good cognitive and functional therapy. That's really the hope, right? Yeah. Well, that's what we're all working towards. And that's what I love about this podcast is I get to meet so many great people committed to the same thing, right? Like, and that's just so great to hear from you and from everybody that you're bang on, you know, technology is great. It's really great when used properly in the right way with the right measurement tools, it can really transform uh, outcomes in a, such Absolutely. a positive way. So, you know, amen to what you said there. Now, for people that like what you said, they want to learn more about you and your work with Invisible Care. How do they get a hold of you and how do they support you? So, I mean, a couple of ways. So, first, you can check us out at invisiblecare.ca and go to our website. You can email me directly, jennifer at invisiblecare.ca. And you can even call or text me 289-799-6032. And you couldn't, you, you're listening to this, so you can't see that I had to look up my own phone number, but that's tech <laughs> for you, right? Is that you no longer know your own phone number. So again, pros and cons of text is yeah. that that's programmed for me, but I do need to look at it. So again, uh, yeah. that number. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. You can just click to it. Perfect. So, you know, I just... I want to acknowledge you and thank you again for everything you're doing. I think it's awesome. Again, when I hang up here, there's some ideas I have for, sorry, listeners, that's just for her and I, but maybe we'll pull <laughs> you in down the road. So thank you again. If this episode had value for you, which I 
I guarantee it did. Download it and share it within your network. Please, you know, ensure to do that. And we'll see everybody on the next episode. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and wanna learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neuro rehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.